Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hello, welcome to Back from the Borderline, your weekly dose of emotional alchemy. I'm your host, Molly, and I welcome you. If you're new here, welcome back if you are a returning listener. Before diving into today's episode topic, I want to read an email I received from Ben. So Ben writes, Hi Molly, I just want to say how helpful I find your podcast in my recovery. I was diagnosed with BPD five years ago and my recovery from that has not been linear. Not that recovery ever is. My journey has been heavily intertwined with addiction. The first time I tried to get sober is when my BPD symptoms really manifested. I wasn't ready to face myself or reality and acted like a madman. I was diagnosed, looked at some statistics, figured I was doomed and relapsed on drugs and alcohol. My drug and alcohol use was my way of self-medication to be completely unaware of the self. I was, at the moment, I am 10 months sober after three years of unsuccessful harm reduction. I find your spiritual theories resonate with my recovery program, so I'm simultaneously dealing with my addiction and emotional regulation in that way. I'm finding that emotion regulation is now the cornerstone of both mental and addiction recovery. Many of the tools I learned through BPD treatment reduced and even cured some of the symptoms of my other illnesses. I'd love to hear your thoughts on BPD and addiction and coexisting illnesses and recovery. If you have any, you could share. Thank you for this email, Ben. I have a good feeling that a good portion of the audience is going to relate quite a bit to this. Whether you have been at your version of rock bottom with some form of addiction, and I believe rock bottom is different for everyone, but it's a very common feeling to wonder, do I have a problem with this substance? Like, is this a problem? Am I an addict? I have had a very complicated relationship with alcohol in my time of being drinking age and a little bit before, I tend towards not knowing my limits. I always drink more than I probably should. Not only that, I think I'm extra sensitive to alcohol. And so it affects me in a way where I get even more emotionally dysregulated. And also I'm sensitive to it in a way where I get really wicked hangovers It just makes me feel awful. And some of my most regrettable moments have been when alcohol has been involved. And so lately, I've been seeing a lot about something called being sober curious. And it's a bit of a movement that's happening right now. Lots and lots is being written about how Gen Z is a generation that is starting to shun alcohol in favor of maybe psychedelics or other types of things, and also just becoming what people are calling sober curious. And ever since I started seeing this content pop up, I've been wanting to do an episode about it, just exploring what the movement is, playing some of the videos and TikToks that I've come across. I say TikTok with such disdain because I'm just like, ugh, TikTok. (laughs) Um, But there are some really, really good ones. And so I thought, what better way to explore this and talk a little bit more about addiction? Because I have done some content on it, but I know that my own really complicated relationship with alcohol and any kind of substance, I have a hard time with moderation. And what I love about the sober curious movement too, is that it really, instead of just saying black and white, I'm going to be done with alcohol. It's more really like 
getting curious. I love the word curious, as you know, and it's asking questions. It's about exploring how drinking and alcohol is such a massive part of our society here in the Western world, particularly, and getting curious about these things and starting to really wonder why is that the case, you know, and exploring the impact that alcohol has on our bodies and the reasons maybe why we may be using alcohol as a way to numb ourselves. There's a lot to be explored and unpacked. And so I'm really stoked to talk to you about the Sober Curious movement. And I think that Ben and anyone who relates to his email might be able to gain a lot from this. The Sober Curious movement is believed to have started in 2018 when an author named Ruby Warrington published a book called Sober Curious. And then other authors like Holly Whitaker and Catherine Gray have also written bestsellers meant to help readers take a step back from alcohol. From what I've read, the term sober curious is ambiguous on purpose as a phrase because The idea is to create a movement that includes all kinds of gray area drinkers. And that's what drew me to this movement because I felt like I wasn't quite ready to label myself as an addict because I didn't feel like it fit, but it did feel like I was on the threshold of just having a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So the term really, really resonated with me. For some people, being sober curious means being more mindful of when and why they're drinking, which is why the phrase mindful drinking comes up. And some sober curious people tend to cut down on drinking and abstain for extended periods of time, while others stop drinking completely. So I really love Sober Curious. Why? Because it encompasses just this wide spectrum where it doesn't have to be a black and white decision of I drink or I never do. There's all sorts of gray area in between. And that's something I can really get behind. But this is by no means making Alcoholics Anonymous or other programs like this Uh, seem like something that aren't great because they have helped millions and millions of people. But for me, I just didn't feel like I fit in in one of those camps, the drinkers or AA. And when I heard about Sober Curious, I felt like this is something I really want to explore because it felt a little bit more like what fit my situation. And from what I have seen so far, Sober Curious resources are great for people who identify as alcoholics who would love to go to AA, but also people who are maybe just deciding whether or not they want to go sober. It's a safe place for everyone all across the alcohol consumption and questioning spectrum, which I really like. The movement has blown up on social media and it has really started appealing to younger people, especially young women. There's lots of sober girl this, sober girl that. But again, most of the stuff I've seen is pretty inclusive and you can relate to the content. The Instagram I follow that I'm about to share with you is called a sober girl's guide, but I can see anyone relating to that content. It's just a cute title, I suppose. But sober curious influencers have started to post TikToks, Instagram reels, detailing how they've stepped away from drinking. A lot of them partner with like mocktail brands. That seems to be the vibe. That's the part that has just been a little cringy for me to watch because I'm going like, man, we can really in the United States make anything into like a cringy capitalist exercise. But aside from the cringe and all of that, I think there is an underlying buzzing thing where Americans, I'm speaking for us because this is where where I am recording this podcast from, but I have no doubt that this is bubbling up across the world. You'll have to write to me if you're from another country and you're hearing about Sober Curious 
or if you're from another country and you've never heard of it, I'd love to hear your perspective. But Americans are starting to demand more options. I think younger people are starting to question the the alcohol-based cultural aspects of our society. And people are really focused about what they're putting in their bodies a lot more. So in general, there's been a huge trend over the last year towards low sugar, low carb, low calorie in the beverage space. And now it's just kind of funny because now it's like, now we're doing like no alcohol. Let's just, let's just cut out the actual bad shit, which is the alcohol. <laughs> Lots of celebrities have come out about this Chrissy Teigen being one of them. She documented her break from drinking on social media. Bella Hadid has also spoken on numerous occasions about taking a break from drinking in like mid-2021. And she's come out recently saying that she drinks sometimes, but that she cut out hard liquor. Bella Hadid even invested in a company called Ken Euphorics, which is a wellness brand that sells drinks infused with so-called functional mushrooms. I have no idea what the fuck that is. I've never tried it. This is not an endorsement for that company. Just, just saying. Um, but they welcomed Bella Hadid as a co-founder in 2021. And Katy Perry also launched her own line of non-alcoholic beverage situations. Again, never tried either of those brands. So I'm not saying they're great, and I'm not saying they're not great. Sober bars and shops are even opening up across the country over the last few years. An elixir lounge with booze-free spirits set up shop in New York City's East Village. A sober cafe reopened in San Francisco. And founders in Pittsburgh and Houston have opened stores that exclusively sell non-alcoholic beers and wines. An article written in September 2022 in the BBC, um, which I'll link in the show notes, it is an article called Why Gen Zers Are Growing Up Sober Curious. Gen Zers is like the weirdest way to refer to a generation. I don't like it. Zers. It just, it doesn't flow off the tongue. But I digress. Someone named Jason, who is 24, told the BBC this in this article. I go to sober parties and parties where people are drinking. I just like being active and hanging out. It's been eye-opening for me to realize that you can be young and sober and still have very full relationships. Another person interviewed for this article, a 22-year-old, says, I'm not anti-drinking. I just don't like getting drunk or feeling sick the next morning. I like going home safely and remembering the people I met, so sober nights work well for me. I can relate to that. That is for me too. I have friends that can have a few drinks, that know their limits, that have glasses of water between drinks, and they are just fine. But then for me, it feels like if I have a few drinks, the next day my whole day is just shot. And so... It really is an individual thing. It's not about judging a whole group of people for drinking and saying that nobody should drink. It's more about really getting curious about how alcohol impacts you and your quality of life. Another quote from this article, friends who haven't limited their drinking as much as me think it's cool when people go sober. It's a you do you mentality where people are just respectful of your choices, whether you're protecting your mental health or you just don't fancy it. And I really like that because what I'm sensing from a lot of Gen Z is this very open arms acceptance of people just doing what's best for them. And I love that. And I really think that's a beautiful aspect that I'm seeing flourishing in this younger generation. Experimenting with alcohol and drinking to a massive excess has been seen almost as a rite of passage into adulthood in Western cultures. And from an early age, often before the legal age, alcohol is seen as social lubricant, right? A fun way to have fun, make friends, and escape your reality. Huge social events and periods in our life are usually memorialized with alcohol, right? It's like Christmas time, wine and champagne, weddings, alcohol. <laughs> I mean, football events, beer, right? When I lived in the UK for two years, I was just blown away at just 
doing something, it is go to the pub. It's not a stereotype. It's like actual reality. It's like everyone's at the pub in the summertime. It's all about like pims and cider and having a drink. And it is just so alcohol focused. It's pretty wild. And it's very, very similar here in the U S but I'd say I noticed an even more intensely alcohol focused culture when I lived in the UK. Another interesting thing that I came across in all this research, because it's like, why, why this huge decrease with Gen Z? And the reason seems to be that Gen Z are more cautious than older generations, both in terms of their health, but also how their peers perceive them. Because if you think about it, one super drunk night and you do something crazy and people have their phones out, that's something that you can never live down. It's memorialized or in a high definition on maybe the live Instagram. So this generation, unfortunately, does not have the benefit of having their mistakes just being swiped under the rug like some of the generations previously where they didn't have you know, phones, everyone didn't have a high definition recording device in their pocket, right? So I think that's something that's really sad and it makes me sad, but also it's not like I'm sad that people are stopping drinking, but I do think that there is an element of being really hyper-conscious of how they are perceived in the younger generation. It's important to know that if you grew up in the late 90s or early 2000s, there was nothing cool about abstaining from alcohol. Being sober curious was most definitely not a thing. These were the years of vodka ads plastered everywhere in front of every teenager in America and the UK. Drinking was glorified and getting drunk was just something that you did. It's something that would make you cool. It's what everyone was doing. The reason why AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and why anonymous is that second word is because being an alcoholic was a very stigmatizing label to have attached to you. And having that title could mean that you would lose friends, negatively impact your career. People looked at you like you were broken. Sound familiar, right? It's very familiar to a label like something like BPD. It comes with a certain stigma. Right now, in big part due to the explosion of the popularity of wellness and fitness, it seems like now we're in a place that not drinking for your health is cool now. And now, thanks to TikTok and like all these sober, curious, sexy girls doing TikTok dances, it's even sexy to be sober curious, right? So I say that with like a heavy dose of cringe, but sometimes cringe comes with good things because if it means that people are thinking more deeply about their relationship with alcohol and getting more curious about maybe things that might be suppressed and repressed, then... I'm okay with a little bit of cringe. A quote I ran across from Emily Lynn Paulson, she wrote this memoir called Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Light. She said, I think people are starting to question the status quo. When you really think about it, it's insanity that we wake up hungover with the knowledge that alcohol makes us feel like crap, and yet we immediately return to it because we're so conditioned to feel like it's something that we must do as adults. Emily Lynn Paulson points to messages that are sold to consumers like rosé all day and it's five o'clock somewhere and she really thinks that these kind of phrases that are so baked into our subconscious lead people to believe that drinking will make them happier, richer, sexier and she thinks that this message helps justify our behavior and shield our eyes to the fact that alcohol is killing people left and right. That's a quote from her. And now people are realizing that alcohol does have a darker side. Some other things that have given rise to the sober curious movement and it being something that more and more people want to hear about is just now people can speak out about it. There's lots of addiction-based reality TV shows 
with questionable production styles, in my opinion. Social media means that Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, there's influencers that are speaking out or just people that are able to talk and go viral and have their experiences heard. People have been able to create their own podcast, just like this one you're listening to right now. And this means that a movement is being created. People are curious. They want to hear more about this. I'm going to link another article about the Sober Curious movement, and I'm going to read this portion of the article, essentially unpacking the darker sides of this Sober Curious movement. Because if you know me, I'm going to do my research and give you the whole picture, not just, it's so funny, I keep punching my water glass and hitting my straw. I'm sorry for this jingling straw noise that you're hearing, getting a little too excited and talking with my hands. Tim Ryan is an author of an autobiography called From Dope to Hope, A Man in Recovery. He also created a show on A&E called Dope Man. And this show is all about educating people about addiction and not just on social media. And he has a bit of a critique of the sober curious movement. So I'm going to read this paragraph from the article, which I'll link in the episode description. So the author writes, Ryan seems to have mixed feelings about sobriety's latest burst in popularity. While he's happy that the word is out about addiction, he points out that it hasn't contributed to much progress where it really matters, which is helping people get into long-term treatment programs. He also fears that many of these so-called sobriety influencers using catchy hashtags and dramatic before and after photos quote, have no true understanding about the disease of alcohol and mental health, end quote. He calls them, quote, recovery all-stars, maintaining that the true pioneers of the sober curious movement were his fiance, Dr. Drew, and the musician turned recovery advocate, Bob Forrest, all of whom have been doing the deal for years. This is why Ryan spends his life devoted to drug policy reform and educating people about the real solutions in recovery, which is how he believes the real changes are going to be made. Catchy slogans and filtered Instagram photos might be attention-grabbing, but the problem needs to be examined in much more detail. However, while the movement might not be directly influencing treatment, perhaps it is guiding people towards a healthier solution to their problems, helping them achieve the same sense of belonging that alcohol falsely provides. So that is the end of the snippet of that article. I think that it is fantastic that the movement is sparking people to get curious about the impact of alcohol, but I couldn't agree more And it's why I always speak kind of critically about what I refer to as BPD-123 content or just mental health content on social media in general. It's why I switched my own strategy in my Instagram because I recognized it's just becoming a little bit more harmful than helpful sharing really short snippets of mental health stuff online and It contributes to a very base level understanding of something when these topics are very, very gray. They're very nuanced and it requires getting to the root causes of things, which is impossible to do in a really short form content type of way like Instagram. And it also risks just creating something else to glamorize and make ourselves feel like we're doing right, if that makes sense. I want to play a couple of video clips from this Instagram called A Sober Girl's Guide, which I highly recommend you follow if you are into this sober curious movement because they repost a lot of content made by other sober curious girls, right? And by the way, there are also people across the gender spectrum in this um, that I'm scrolling down, so really... It is primarily girl-focused account, though, I will say. But let's just hear a couple of these video snippets. And if you want to see the videos, you can go to the Instagram. I'm thinking, is it just me or does anyone else think that alcohol is new cigarettes? Mm. And for those of you who didn't hear her there, she said alcohol is the new cigarettes, right? She was like, alcohol is the new cigarettes. But just in case you didn't hear that, that's what she said. I said it. No, but for real. People are going sober. People are questioning 
why our entire society is built around alcohol. Why company culture is like happy hours. Why dating is essentially go to the bar, nothing else to do. Go to the bar, get a drink, get a drink. Why most TV from a young age has shown people after a long day, what do they do? They go drink. That is how you relax. We've been conditioned to believe this is the way. I don't want to get like super conspiracy theory, but like alcohol makes you not super creative and doesn't make you challenge status quo. And I'm sorry, but the more people we're drinking, like, are we going to like rise up and do anything about this world? Probably not. So that's just one of them. And these are the things that like, I really enjoy these types of little quips and little TikToks. Cause I'm going, you know, like that's the kind of thing that could get somebody thinking. And I like that. The ones that actually make me cringe are when it's just someone lip syncing over like a movie quote. And I'm going like, cool. We, we didn't get anything in the nest. I was like, sober curious. And like the caption, that's not as helpful for me, but I really like these ones. So let's check out another clip that is uploaded to a sober girl's guide Instagram. And this is a clip from an interview with true Barrymore talking about how she started reevaluating her relationship with alcohol and she's taking more of a teetotal approach. And by teetotal, I mean, she doesn't drink at all. So let's hear what she has to say. Alcohol anymore. I'm not sober. I don't work a program. That's what else I do is, you know, my own business. Right. I do. I was like, this is a toxic behavior for me. And my whole life, it held me back because I knew that I couldn't like surrender to something nor give it up. It was like that definition of insanity. You do the same over and over again, expecting a different result. I was a complete prisoner of my own behavior. And finally, three and a half years ago, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. It doesn't work for me. I'm never going to be that cool girl with the glass of wine at the party. Like, I'll want three bottles. Like, that's just my personality. It's my addiction. And when I finally let go of that, it made me realize that I was capable of great change. In true TikTok fashion, it just cuts off there. But I'm sure that that's a a, a larger interview she did. But I can relate to that too. And maybe you can as well. I love how she said, I'm never going to be that cool girl at the party that just has one glass of wine. I'm going to want three bottles. It's just my personality. And what I would add to that is maybe that's just her personality right now. And maybe that will change. And what I love about the Sober Curious movement is that This doesn't have to be a permanent decision. The beauty of it is you don't have to label yourself something if you don't find that helpful. If if Some people find it helpful to say, I'm an alcoholic, I admit it, and I'm working on it. So I'm not shading anybody who's found a lot of healing in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've seen that program work miracles on people's lives. But some people also don't want to take that route. And I love how... This could just be something that you're going, I'm not drinking right now. This is not a time in my life where I feel like this is contributing to my existence. It's actually taking away. So let's listen to one more video from this account. By the way, this one has a caption over it saying why I stopped drinking. So this is this girl responding to the question why I stopped drinking and the music behind it is is added into the video already. Because I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable experiencing and expressing the full depth of my emotions. I was uncomfortable trying to connect and meet people and create relationships. And alcohol helped to numb all that discomfort. It helped to, you know, put on this air of confidence and to feel like I didn't need to care about anything. I stopped drinking because even though it made me feel confident, it wasn't teaching me how to be confident. It wasn't teaching me how to love myself and how to connect and relationship it was creating this mask that allowed me to perform as someone confident but the moment the alcohol wore off I felt more self-conscious pathetic often it wasn't helping me to become the person that I wanted to be or to live the kind of life that I wanted to live I mean how did I stop 
And this is an annoying answer, I know, but it, it was a choice. I had to choose myself. I had to choose the person that I wanted to be and the relationships that I wanted to have and the life that I wanted to create. So I decided that I was worth it. I decided that my life was worth it. I decided that it was worth feeling all my feelings to the fullest and deepest capacity without the mask of alcohol. I had to decide that it was worth learning how to connect with people honestly and learning to see myself honestly and share myself honestly no matter how uncomfortable it got at times. I had to decide that it was worth being in the discomfort and to learn that the discomfort was only an opportunity to stretch deeper into the potential of who I am and the life that I can Oof, that one's a powerful heavy hitter. I will also say production tip to the girl that made that video is that the music was really loud and just hearing like Billie Eilish's little chipmunk voice super loud in the back. I was like, no, I want to hear what you're saying about your, your, your choices. Um, but anyways, powerful stuff right there. And I love her honesty. I love her openness. And what I love so much about videos like that, that's everything that is amazing about social media right now, in my opinion, is someone can share like she just did and you feel that. And that could really change someone's life, just running across that maybe short two-minute video, right? That is powerful to me. And it's one of the more beautiful and positive aspects of living in the culture that we are in now. And I think it's important to recognize the good because we can talk so much about how social media is the devil and it's turning us into tiny goldfish brain attention span people. But then there's also beautiful stuff like that. And I love how she said, so how did I stop? I'd love to just give you like a list of tips, but really it's, it's a choice. And isn't that the truth? One day you wake up and you just get sick of your own bullshit and you say, today's the day. It's not happening anymore. And you might fall off the wagon a couple times, but you always come back, get up on the horse and say like, no, I'm riding towards that version of myself that I want to be. Something that's been helping me lately, and it might help you too if you're struggling with addiction or just falling back into patterns that you know are keeping you stuck that doesn't even have to do with substances it's just behavioral stuff anything is imagining really in your mind's eye a version of yourself 20 years older than you are now where would you want that person to live what can you imagine them looking like what are their favorite things that they do how do they spend their time Imagine this 20 years from now version of yourself that has built the life that you believe and you really deserve you want. And then when you do anything right now, ask, is this going to get me to that future version of myself? Sit down and ask that future version of yourself for advice before you write an email, a text, decide to hop in a car after drinking or take that next drink or, 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 or fill in the blank here. That's been a really impactful way that I've been able to really start diving into my behavior. And it's a much more practical way to connect to your quote unquote higher self and makes it really tangible and real. Because think about it. You were a five-year-old at one point, And if you're sitting here in your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc., do you really feel like you connect with that three-year-old you see in a picture it's almost weird right you're like that was me but no your essence was in that three-year-old body and now you're like something completely different it's pretty wild to think about when you really put it in that perspective and so imagine yourself as a completely transformed new being 20 years from now that is a product of the choices that you're making right now that will have a powerful impact on what you decide to do put in your body, believe about yourself, the kind of people you allow into your life, you can make powerful changes now. But imagine that version of yourself 20 years from now and ask, what favors can you do for your future self right now? The number one reason why people don't get help is because of stigma. So if this sober hip movement, sober curious movement will help others 
not view people who drink alcohol as destructive, broken members of society and help to shift this damaging stigma, then I am all here for it. And it's so incredibly important too to remember that alcohol isn't the problem. It is a solution to a bigger problem or it's being used as a solution. And it's time that we address the very real and systemic reason that people are using drugs and alcohol as a solution and really start a wider, deeper diving discussion about alternative strategies and solutions to our systemic and global collective challenge and challenges that we're facing as a modern society, like stress, anxiety, poverty, etc. That is incredibly important. According to the World Health Organization, the number of drinkers in the world has been on the steady decline, and it is down 5% since 2000. And we have young people mostly to thank for this decline. I'm hoping that this sober curious movement will continue having a positive effect on people that are living now on future generations, not only providing alternatives to drinking, but also diving into the reasons why we do drink and removing the stigma of alcoholism in general and asking questions and learning more, which I am all here for. So that's it for today's episode. As usual, I'm going to fade out now and give you a preview of my second podcast called My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health, where my premium submarines, which is what I call my premium subscribers, get to join me on My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. We talk about their questions. We go on a walk with my dog. We dive into what I'm going through. My premium submarines also get my monthly newsletter that has book recommendations, podcast recommendations, YouTube video recommendations, article recommendations, all the recs, because you know I'm out here spending 99% of my time reading about all this stuff because I love it, so help me save you time. So I hope you enjoy this little preview, and if you'd like to join the premium submarine community, you can do that by going to backfromtheborderline.com and clicking unlock premium. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss every time I drop a new episode on Tuesday mornings. And if you would like to join us on Instagram, you can follow me at backfromtheborderline. I post lots of funny memes. I share stuff on my stories and it's just a fun vibe there. So without further ado, here's your preview of my stupid walk my stupid mental health and i will see you next week what's up my premium submarines just heads up we're gonna be finishing today's episode with me reading your emails listening to your voicemails and responding so stick around to the end for that what's up comrades it's me molly and we are back at it again our stupid walk for our stupid mental health. Cody's out here with me. An update, huge freeze that we had here in Texas. And as I mentioned last week, it was so sad and also very treacherous going on the stupid walk because there was quite literally fucking trees all over the place, hither and thither. It was a hot mess. And as you know, my favorite little path, which is like the super cute little witchy woods walk that I like to do, I couldn't even get in to the path I normally walk on because tragically a bunch of trees were fallen and you you couldn't even get through. This week I'm venturing into the woods and there are trees everywhere but we're hopping over them and we're going to see how we do because last week 
I was walking on the street and it was just wild with so many car noises. And I prefer the woods and birds ambiance for our stupid walks. So here we go. I'm risking my, my life for all of you. Just kidding. Not really. But I am climbing over fucking tree stumps and shit. So I hope you're all having an amazing week. I hope that whenever you listen to this, you actually are on your walk because that's the whole point, you know? So get out there, get on your walk. If you're not walking now, just pause this, pause and get up, put your little shoesies on and go on a walk, even if it's around the block or just pause it until later when you can go on a walk because it's great to walk and talk. So yeah, last week I was really overwhelmed and we were just talking about falling off the, the recovery bus and how we can never really go back to square one. And I've been thinking a lot about recovery and stuff. I've got a incredible opportunity next month to speak at a mental health symposium put on by the University of Calgary and an incredible BFTB listener who is also a candidate for his PhD at the University of Calgary. And I believe he's an instructor as well. Jay, shout out to Jay. He, you know, made this opportunity available to me. I have major imposter syndrome. The other person that is one of the keynote speakers alongside of me is a, I think, junior professor at Yale University. And I'm scared shitless to do this talk. And so for the last two months, I've been really asking myself, like, what do I want to talk about, right? It's, I said yes as soon as I got the opportunity. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, now I need to really think about what I'm going to say. And I thought I'd take an opportunity to kind of give you all a little bit of a preview of, of, of what I plan on talking about in this speech presentation, whatever we want to call it, because I think it's really going to resonate with my submarines. So I've just been, you know, ever since I started this podcast, I started off purely in the BPD camp, right? I was interviewing therapists about how to recover from what we know as BPD. And if you've been following closely, which most of you have, because most of my premium submarines are like longtime listeners. You've listened to hours and hours and hours of me talking and you decided, hey, I want more of this crazy shit. And I've transformed my beliefs into kind of just as with BPD, why it's viewed as a disorder is because it represents pretty extreme behavior, extreme emotional states, really imbalanced views on ourselves, on the world. And as I've learned more and more about psychiatry and the history of the DSM, which is what's used to diagnose us with these disorders that just continue to grow and grow and grow in number over the years, I've recognized that we really view the medicalization of suffering means that we view emotions and the human experience we're categorizing them as symptoms, right? Depression is a symptom, a mental health symptom. Uh, chronic feelings of suicidal ideation or emptiness is a symptom. Depression, anxiety, I think I probably already said that. And my interview with Dr. Lisa Miller was really illuminating to me because she said, what if we viewed depression as a knock at the door? And as all of you know, I've been deeply exploring my own spirituality, but I've been so turned off by the mental health coach vibe stuff that's been going on. I think there's a lot of people out here not always consciously being predatory, but it's just spirituality is icky right now because lots of like spiritual woo-woo coaches are just taking it to an extreme and missing the core points. And then we've got medical mental health and psychiatry over on the other extreme where we're viewing mental health as like putting it in these medicalized boxes. Like our personalities are, you know, 
things that we need to treat as though they are some kind of medical disease if they're out of balance. And so I'm going, where is the middle ground here? And as I was reading some of my spiritual books this week and thinking about what I would say in this presentation that I have to give, something literally popped into my mind and I thought, what if we saw our symptoms as saviors? And I looked up the definition of savior and obviously I'm on a walk, so I need to stop this voice note. Okay, update. I looked up the definition of savior. It's someone or something that saves from harm or destruction. Because we view the word savior, it's just how the word spirituality has leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths because of either really dogmatic and exclusionary and now like almost like commercialized mick religion, which I call it, like these mega churches. Or you've got this really weird, like, I'm a spiritual light worker, light body. Pay me 10 grand to be in my safe container for women to explore your juicy orgasms, right? And so the word savior automatically, just like the word spirituality, understandably brings up like a ugh in our minds. But think about it. The pure definition of savior is someone or something that saves from harm or destruction. And what if we viewed these symptoms what if everyone in the world all at once I could do like the men in black flash and I said your depression your anxiety all of these symptoms all these things that people are saying you need to numb suppress medicate get rid of hope to go into cure or remission what if those were your saviors what if these feelings you're having the feeling of emptiness, like what does it all mean? I'm never going to find love. I hate myself. I'm depressed. All these things. What if we viewed those as Lisa Miller says, a knock at the door? What if we viewed them as our saviors? It doesn't mean we have to say they feel good. It doesn't mean they have to be, you know, pleasant. But I truly believe now after all this work on myself and all this introspection, I'm like chronically introspective, probably to the extreme. But after all of this inner work and looking inward and talking to all of you and receiving hundreds of voicemails and emails, interviewing these professionals, I recognize that all of these feelings that I've had when I was literally lying in my bed, depressed, wanting to kill myself, feeling incredibly horrible, It was really my body telling me, you are not living in alignment to your personal truth. I was going on date after date. I was like using sex as self-harm, filling the hole inside of me, trying to get other people to love me, and then clinging and clinging and being devastated when it didn't work out. Not even learn. I just literally ran into a tree right now and the fucking branches just like attacked my hair. But what I'm saying is, what if all of the things that hurt the most, what if they were messengers? What if they were saviors trying to tell you that the way you're living now isn't aligned with your own inner truth? And it's very inconvenient, right? Because we don't want to change. We don't want to quit the job. We don't want to end the relationship. We don't want to face up what we might be suppressing. We don't want to come out about our sexuality potentially and have difficult conversations with ourselves and other people. We don't want to face it. And so it's easier to say, these are symptoms. I want to take something, do something, whatever. And again, like as usual, I'm definitely not demonizing medication because I think it has its place just as I think Some of these diagnostic labels and stuff have their place. But what I'm saying is we've gotten too much to an extreme where it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I feel bad, that's bad, and these feelings are bad, so I need to get rid of them so that I can go back to my daily life. What if these signs and these symptoms and these feelings were messengers and saviors that were telling you, I don't care about you wanting to suppress me. I have your best interest at heart, and what you're doing right now no longer serves you and I'm going to keep knocking at your door until you recognize it what if everyone in society everyone treating 
anyone for mental health took that approach, how much less stigma would there be? How much more empowered would people feel? How much more connection would people have with their their feelings and their selves? How much more integrated would we be as a society? How much more easy would it be to open up and talk about feelings if we didn't label people who are wanting to kill themselves as like unstable, BPD, cutters, hysterical women? Maybe these are responses to people who are being forced to live a life that doesn't align with their truth. This is why the DSM, all the way up until the 1970s, labeled homosexuality as a mental disorder. Why do you think people in in these eras that were homosexual or members of the LGBTQ plus community were wanting to kill themselves and having some of the most intense instances of psychological and mental distress. Why? Because they're forced to live in a society where their true inner desires and wishes, it's not safe for them to be who they are. They're not disordered. Those feelings that they feel are saviors. They're saying, we want you to live in your truth. Be who you are. (sighs) So that's my rant on that. And I have a lot of work to do because... So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed that special preview of this week's Stupid Walk number seven. And it is going to be called Symptoms of Saviors. So if you want to listen to the rest of that, you can either sign up by ACAST Plus or Patreon in the link in this episode or by going to my website at backfromtheborderline.com. I hope to see you join us there. But if not... I thank you for being here today for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the Sober Curious movement. I said it a little bit on the premium version of the podcast for the submarines at the end of that episode, but I do want to say this is coming out on Valentine's Day. So thank you for being my Valentine today. Get out there and do something special for someone you love, for yourself, for a stranger. Valentine's Day is always a good excuse just to show love. It doesn't have to be cheesy or, you know, fit the stereotypical mold. So with that, I'll leave you. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at Back From The Borderline. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. If you loved what you heard today, share it with someone you care about, maybe someone who might be interested in the sober curious movement. That's how you can also support the podcast and the work I'm doing here. And last but not least, if you're new, click the follow button so that you don't miss any episodes every time I drop them on Tuesday. I drop a new episode every single Tuesday, no matter what. So follow the podcast so that you can keep up with new episodes. But until then, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.